All right, everyone, we've got Dylan. He's the founder and CEO of Mindbloom. And A, his company's amazing. B, he's got some amazing stories to share. And uh, I can't wait for him to share it with everyone. So Dylan, tell us a little bit about Mindbloom from the top, and uh, we'll kind of go from there. Mindbloom is the largest provider of psychedelic therapy in the United States today. Uh, we uh, help people achieve life-changing uh, personal and clinical breakthroughs uh, through at-home ketamine therapy for anxiety and depression. We've done two big things in Mindbloom that we're really proud of. Uh, one is we've radically increased access to ketamine therapy treatment by using telemedicine to bring the cost down 80%, uh, making it available to 85% of Americans in 38 states, uh, which is particularly important because 160 million Americans don't live in mental health coverage zones as it is, uh, and really reduce the stigma and barriers uh, by building uh, the largest brand in psychedelic therapy and uh, doing over 300,000 treatment sessions over the past four years. The second big thing that we've done is uh, created products and services around psychedelic ketamine therapy uh, to help people get the best clinical outcomes uh, that have really ever existed in depression anxiety. Uh, so just last summer, uh, we published the largest ever peer review clinical study uh, in 70 years of psychedelic therapy and 20 years of ketamine therapy history, uh, along with physicians and researchers from NYU, UCSF, Cleveland Clinic, Houston Methodist, MAPS, uh, who's running the MDMA clinical trials, uh, demonstrating that our at-home ketamine therapy product uh, is getting people a uh, clinically significant improvement in anxiety and depression, like 40% more frequently than SSRIs like Lexapro with 10 times fewer side effects uh, and even blowing the clinical outcomes of in-person ketamine, which are five times the cost uh, out of the water. Okay. Yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to un, un, unpack there, but can you, um, I, I think the story that you have is really powerful. So kind of what's your relationship with psychedelics and, and um, how did this lead into starting Mindbloom? Uh, so I'm a three-time tech founder now. Uh, built two other what I call world positive companies, creating changes in areas that are deeply personal, and meaningful to me. Um, and I left my last company after five years, which is still the market leader in space. Five years later, uh, to start uh, Mindbloom for a couple big reasons. Uh, one is uh, I think everybody knows that we're in a mental health crisis, um, but not everybody knows that it's largely considered the number one public health crisis in the United States today, and it's getting worse and worse every day. Uh, so to frame the problem. Uh, we've got a quarter of Americans, one-fourth, uh, have diagnosable mental illnesses, and that number is increasing. Uh, Depression is the number one cause of disability worldwide, and suicides and overdoses have become the top two leading causes of death for Americans under 45. Overdose and suicide death number is particularly personal, meaningful to me, uh, because uh, my mother and my sister are part of those statistics. Uh, my mother and my sister were both severely mentally ill schizophrenic, a bipolar, addiction, uh, and we tried all of the traditional treatment options that we could find uh, to try to get them help, and ultimately none of them worked for them. We tried antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, antipsychotics, talk therapy, group therapy, inpatient rehab, uh, all of which was particularly challenging for us as a working class family and the 70% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck to afford access and even figure out what the hell to do, but it wasn't enough. Uh, my mother ended up spending 15 years homeless on the streets uh, because we weren't able to help her or manage it uh, before dying of a fentanyl overdose a couple years ago. Uh, my sister, I was essentially the same situation on and off, housed by my father, um, 
and died of a fentanyl overdose uh, last year, right after getting out of a three-month inpatient rehab facility. And through those experiences, um, I lived in a very turbulent, chaotic, uh, oftentimes violent home that undoubtedly left some what you'd call like lowercase t trauma uh, ingrained into me. Um, so I had a lot of issues uh, with anger, a lot of issues with how I uh, related to and interacted with other people, uh, and just a really toxic and unhealthy worldview uh, that showed up uh, in terms of my mental health and well-being and the life I was leading. And for me in my journey, I ended up discovering MDMA therapy uh, about 16 years ago, uh, and MDMA fundamentally uh, changed my outlook on the world and how I related to others and uh, really catalyzed a personal transformation to make me a much better person for myself and a much better person for the people around me. And for that reason, started MindBloom with this mission to transform lives, to transform the world, uh, to help people become happier, healthier, and more resilient versions of themselves, both for them, but for also the ripple effect that that would have on the people around them, their family, their community, and the work that they would do in the world. Got it. Well, number one, I appreciate you sharing that story um, and shows just how resilient you are and, and how you're taking that trauma and, and how you're, you're building stuff to have a positive impact on the world. Um, in one of your answers here in an interview that you did, you mentioned that depression is the number one cause of disability worldwide after all. And overdose deaths have 5x in the last 20 years. So um, the... Because my my experience with MDMA, the first time I did it was was in like a I went to an EDM festival right when I was like twenty years old and and it was life changing in that respect. But can you tell us how MDMA therapy is different than just taking it recreationally? Yeah, so when I started Mind Bloom uh, in late two thousand eighteen, and this is for ketamine, but it's going to tie into your question about MDMA therapy. Uh, yep. What I saw was that uh, ketamine was this uh, groundbreaking treatment for mood disorders like depression, anxiety, uh, but also a lot of research and studies around PTSD, OCD, and addiction, and other ruminative thought disorders. Uh, there have actually been over 100 clinical studies published on ketamine over the past 20 years, more than all other psychedelic medicines combined. Uh, but there are a couple of big problems with ketamine. Uh, one was the access problem. It's like $600,000 a session, which my working class family could have never afforded for my mother, even if it was available back then. You said $600,000? 600000 to $1,000 <laughs> Got it, got it. Got it. A session. I was like, 600000 is a really, really so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a little yeah. pricey. Um, yeah. Um, you know, very few providers out there. Uh, some Most Americans didn't have access, a lot of fear and stigma. Uh, but another problem I saw was that it was stuck in what I called at the time ketamine therapy 1.0. It was often provided by an anesthesiologist or ER doctor, not a mental health care provider, uh, provided in a sterile clinic or hospital room looking up into some fluorescent lights with a needle in your arm. And 20% of Americans are needle phobic. Um, so that's a huge issue for a lot of people. And uh, not to mention that that setting is really challenging for people, especially when they're about to undergo a psychedelic state. Uh, and third, uh, maybe most importantly, uh, there's generally very little to know, call it psychosocial support around the treatment. It's just a jab in the arm, send you on your way, hope it works, which it actually does. So I saw an opportunity to build what we call ketamine therapy 2.0, uh, which is allowing people to use the psychedelic medicine in the comfort of their own home where they're in a, a comfortable, safe, uh, uh, physical setting. 
uh, to sort of calm their mind, gives them a psychedelic therapy uh, modality uh, to help them prepare for, go through, and integrate their experiences afterwards, uh, and is actually delivered by mental health care providers. So mind them specifically psychiatrists and psychiatric clinicians, along with a uh, specialized coach that we call a guide. Uh, so I say all that to get to your question around what's the difference between taking MDMA and MDMA therapy. Uh, there are a few different uh, permutations for what psychedelic therapy, whether that's ketamine therapy, MDMA therapy, or psilocybin-assisted therapy might look like. Uh, but generally, it orients around three pillars. Uh, one is preparation for the experience, what you do before it. Uh, two is navigation of the experience, what you do during it. And three is integration of the experience or what you do after. So for preparation of the experience, um, in a sort of MDMA therapy modality, uh, what people will really focus on, the providers will focus on, uh, is helping patients, uh, one, make sure that they're in a really sort of calm, expansive, well-prepared mindset going into the experience. Uh, two, make sure that the physical setting that they're doing it in uh, so where they're at, who they're with, um, is really comfortable. Uh, and three, uh, that people are sort of priming their subconscious mind before they go into the experience uh, to help get the most out of it. That could be working with a provider or a therapist, uh, or it could be uh, what, say, Mind Bloom clients do, which is writing out their intentions, like in a journaling exercise, ahead of each experience. Uh, the second is navigating the experience, what you do during it. Uh, and so there's a definite skill set to getting the most out of a psychedelic experience, whether that's MDMA or ketamine or psilocybin. Uh, and so at MindBloom, one of the things we train our clients in is to, uh, it's called TLO, trust, let go, be open, which is also often used in MDMA therapy. Uh, so giving them something to hold on to uh, around trusting that the medicine's high quality and it's really safe and efficacious and it's going to work for them most likely, to uh, allowing, teaching them how to let go as experiences come up and not get caught into ruminations, uh, to just to observe things coming and going and collecting those experiences. Uh, and three, being open and receptive and not sort of resisting and fighting those experiences. To help people get the most out of that, uh, usually what's done, and this is what we do at MindBloom, it's also in the MDMA therapy protocol, uh, is have people recline or lay down with an eye shade over their eyes, eyes closed, uh, and headphones with a very particular and personalized and specialized music to guide the experience and overlay it. Uh, and so MindBloom through our mobile app, which is like Headspace or Calm, but for psychedelic therapy, uh, there are a number of different programs and pathways people can select for different mental health issues they're grappling with. Uh, we have a bunch and we're building out a whole library more, but things like anxiety, depression, grief, social anxiety, eating disorder, alcohol use, couples therapy, et cetera. Uh, and for every session, we have a library of guided sessions with different types of music and different types of spoken guided uh, psychosocial support content uh, to help take people through that one hour ketamine therapy session. Or in the case of MDMA, it might be more like three to six hours. And then the third, uh, arguably some of the most important or highest leverage part of the entire process uh, is integration. Uh, so what do people do after the experience? Uh, so what we know about psychedelics is that uh, they open what's called the critical period, uh, essentially a state of neuroplasticity in your brain where you're much more easily able to rewire your brain in healthier ways. 
healthier ways emotionally, healthier ways behaviorally. Um, and we want to help people leverage that neuroplastic state as best as possible. Uh, for studies show that for ketamine, that neuroplastic state can be about a week per session. Uh, for MDMA, it can be about two weeks. Uh, for LSD, three weeks. For Ibogaine, four weeks. It seems to correlate with the length of the psychedelic experience. And so when people are in this neuroplastic state after their experience, um, it's a prime time to help them uh, actually get a lot of the benefits. And so we do that by helping people uh, really dive into what happened during the experience and understand it and make sense of it. Uh, two, helping people interpret what that means for them, what they're going to do about it. And then three, helping them create actual action plans for how they're going to make changes in their life and be held accountable to them uh, so that they're not just having these interesting, neat experiences, but actually taking what they've learned and what's come up in this neuroplastic state and making you know, concrete changes in their life that'll help you know, propel them upwards. Okay. And what are some, I guess, let's talk... Uh... You said it would be six hundred to a thousand dollars for a typical type of uh, treatment for ketamine, right? Like, what does it cost with Mind Bloom, and how long is the treatment typically? All that type of stuff. Uh, so, Mind Bloom starts as a six-session treatment program. Uh, that's one hundred ninety-five a session, uh, mm -hmm. and that includes uh, several hours of support from mental health care providers. Uh, so, whereas a platform like Hims or Row that looks a little bit more like an online pharmacy, uh, you might work with a doctor for seven seconds or seven minutes. Uh, our clients are working with our providers on average seven hours throughout the seven session program. Uh, it also includes uh, coaching from specialized coaches called guides. That's both in a one-on-one -on -one setting and also a group setting called integration circles, uh, which are probably one of our most popular features, allowing clients to share about their experiences facilitated by a guide. Uh, we also have all that content that we talked about and a really active patient community of people sharing about their experiences and helping each other uh, sort of get the most out of the experiences and share tips and tricks and uh, share their mental health journeys. Uh, the cost for this sort of complete solution, not just the medicine, uh, is 195 a session, so about 80% more affordable than the average in-person ketamine clinic when I started the company. Uh, and for clients who decide to continue on treatment for subsequent programs, uh, that drops down uh, closer to $120 per treatment. Got it. And is there, um, and you guys, to be clear, so MindBloom specifically focuses on ketamine treatment right now, yes? Ketamine is the only legally prescribable psychedelic therapy in the United States today. Uh, M yep. MDMA is on track right now to be available to patients end of next year, end of 2024, and psilocybin is probably a couple years after that. So it's an exciting time. Okay. <laughs> so, well, let's say if you, uh, let's say that the, the law was no object here, which one would be the weapon of choice in your am mind? I, am I, so one, I'm not a clinician or a doctor, just a, uh -huh. I'm a tech entrepreneur, a psychedelic enthusiast, and a, a psychedelic therapy patient myself. Um, so in my personal opinion, it would be MDMA therapy. Um, okay. I think, I, I think uh, ketamine is going to fundamentally, fundamentally transform the behavioral health system. Like we see that ketamine is essentially a 10x better product than SSRIs and anti-anxiety meds and talk therapy. Uh, and for people, their mental health issues are usually their number one burning pain point in their life. 
Like our, like our average client is 41 years old. We have more clients over the age of 57 in their 20s. Uh, and these are people who have suffered for a long time. They've tried a lot of things and nothing has really worked for them. Uh, that said, uh, MDMA um, is so powerful in terms of the clinical outcomes it's getting, especially for things like PTSD, which are really challenging and tricky. Um, and I think that ketamine has been slower to adopt because it has a lot more fear and stigma than MDMA. And so MDMA, I think, is going to sort of take the behavioral health market a lot faster and then also propel ketamine therapy behind it. Yep. I remember uh, there was a, I know Tim Ferriss dropped this video. This has to be like five or six years ago, but it was, it was like four different people that had gone through different trauma stories and they were, they all went through MDMA therapy and it was like 80% effective. And basically they would take the MDMA and they'd just sit with them sit with the doctor and then talk through kind of similar to what you're saying, right? Kind of talk through what's going on in their head and um, miraculously they were, they were cured afterwards. So I, I, I do kind of believe that. Um, and again, I, I'm not a doctor or anything either. I can just go through my, my experiences. So I can say, just say it's, it's been a positive experience. Um, okay. And let's say you're to stack rank it, right? You're, you're, so you would put MDMA first. Would psilocybin come in second or would it be ketamine? Hmm. So I think, the way to think about it is that like different molecules or substances work for different people for different things. Um, and so if somebody is stuck in a ruminative thought or mood disorder, which is how a lot of mental health issues look like, where they are have built over time unhealthy neural pathways and patterns are these positive feedback loops. They feed themselves over and over again. They get worse and worse and worse. So this is depression, anxiety, OCD, PTSD, addiction. Uh, ketamine is actually incredibly effective for knocking people out of that, especially depression. Uh, one of the benefits of ketamine is that it only lasts about an hour and is generally quite gentle. And so it allows people to sort of stack these neuroplastic windows because they can do it more frequently uh, to get you know, progressive outcomes. Uh, something like psilocybin is more potent generally for people. And so uh, it can help people who need like a really huge breakthrough uh, do it, but it's a little, it's a lot, there's a lot of friction just in terms of the intensity of the experience, in terms of how long it takes. Um, and so ketamine can use, be used a little bit more as like a better as like a, like an SOS um, system, right? Like somebody comes home and they're, they're in like a deep, dark state. They're having, um, you know, many, uh, sort of relapse or episode, uh, and the ketamine can help knock them out of it really quick. Uh, it's one of the reasons that ketamine is, uh, probably based on the clinical research, uh, the best treatment for suicidality today, uh, because you can get somebody who's having a suicidal episode ketamine very, very quickly and immediately, and it has these incredible remission rates. Example is uh, after my sister uh, died of a fentanyl overdose right after getting out of three months of rehab uh, late last year, uh, my father, who's my hero, was in a deep suicidal depression. He was incapable of leaving his room, showering or shaving uh, for 20 days straight. So completely wow. debilitated. Uh, he was suicidal. He was texting me things like, um, here are all my passwords. 
in case something happens to me. Here's where all the silver is hidden in my condominium in case anything happens to me and would not let me come down and see him. Uh, and was taking a lot of steps that are, you know, like largely considered people preparing to potentially commit suicide. Uh, and I, so I had, you know, talked to my team with mental health care providers and you know, essentially put them in like a 50-50 chance to survive the next, you know, one to two months. Uh, the upshot was this was sort of the rock bottom catalyst that he needed to sort of take the leap and the plunge and try ketamine therapy through Mindbloom, which is something I've been trying to get him to do since the day, since the day I started the company. Uh, and it was nothing short of transformational for him. Uh, within a couple sessions, he had remission from suicidality, uh, which 63% of our patients who are suicidal have. Um, and within several sessions, uh, he sounded like a complete transformed person, exercising for the first time in years, eating healthy for the first time in years, decades, <laughs> um, has goal, had, had started to develop goals around his relationships with others and like finding a partner, spending more time with his friends, you know, organizing, decluttering his house and just getting that activation energy for life. So that's something that ketamine is extremely effective for and shows up in the clinical research. Uh, MDMA is extremely effective for trauma. Um, there's a lot of studies around uh, end of life care and palliative care for people who, um, you know, are in a deep depression. It could be cancer. It could be because they're, you know, at the twilight stage of their life. And uh, psilocybin has been clinically shown uh, to have transformational benefits to people's mental health and sort of coming to terms with it and finding meaning and purpose in their life. Um, but we really still are just like, at day one of figuring out like how to help people get the most out of these neuroplastic drugs, uh, how to help personalize the medicine and really match like the right person to the right medicine for the right thing and the right way for them. Uh, and that's, you know, a huge thing we're doing here at Mindbloom is, uh, you know, developing these products and services and, uh, trying to build applications to help maximize the outcomes and the quality experiences from these. You said you've had over 300,000 customers. Is that what it is? Oh, we've done 300,000 sessions. 300,000 sessions. Okay. Um, are you able to share any, like, because I, I gave an 80% number earlier, right? Like the success rate um, or however you quantify it? Yeah. Like I mentioned, we published the largest ever peer-reviewed clinical study in psychedelic or ketamine therapy history last summer. A lot of these studies usually have ends or number of participants of like 20, 30, 40, 50 if it's big. Uh, and ours yeah. was 1,247. Okay. And we're actually running a study right now, a follow-on one that's going to be like seven times larger, like nearly 10,000. It's okay. truly massive. Uh, and so what this study showed is uh, that when you stack at-home ketamine therapy up to other treatments, uh, it's tr like truly, like I mentioned, a 10x product. Uh, so for instance, talk therapy works for about 40% of people, which is about mm -hmm. the same as a placebo. It's sort of a you know, it seems to be like there are ha like a small percentage of talk therapists that get people incredible outcomes. Uh, but in general, talk therapy uh, doesn't work on average. Um, then you have SSRIs. So these are antidepressants, which 40 million Americans are prescribed, like Lexapro. Uh, and that's not much better. It works for like 40 to 47 percent of people. Uh, but the downside is that like 30 to 50% of people have severe side effects, weight gain, sexual dysfunction, insomnia, sometimes suicidality, sometimes severe anxiety. And you often hear from people, they also have severe emotional blunting that makes it you know, almost untenable to be on because they become sometimes a shell of their former self. In addition, antidepressants take six to eight weeks to work. So if you're someone like my dad, where you're a suicidal, you might not have six to eight weeks for it to work. IV ketamine therapy in person, ketamine therapy 1.0 with sort of no psychosocial support, just jab in a hospital room, uh, actually works for 50 
uh, 54% of people. Uh, and at-home ketamine therapy with our protocol is working for 63% of people. So that's 20% more frequently than in-person ketamine and 40% more frequently than SSRIs. Uh, but when people hear about ketamine, they think they have the knee-jerk reaction, like, wow, that sounds really dangerous, though. So I think what surprises people isn't necessarily the efficacy. It's actually the safety of ketamine therapy and at-home ketamine therapy. Uh, so as SSRIs, people are having these really severe side effects, like 30, 40, 50% of the time. Uh, mind bloom patients are having side effects uh, less than 5% of the time, 4.7%. And they're pretty light, like nausea, grogginess, a uh, little brain fog for a few days. And the amount of clients having like an adverse event, so something more severe than a side effect, uh, was like rounds to zero. It's like 0.3%, I think all of which were resolved. I know we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to go kind of uh, rapid fire here. So hit me. I'm looking at one of the the responses here that you do. So the five things I wish someone told me before I started. Um, so number five here, you put psychedelic therapy, and you said you do mind bloom one to two times a month, and another psychedelic therapy experience about three to six times a year. Tell us about the second part. What what is the second part? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have my own psychedelic therapy practice. Uh, there are a lot of different things I've found that so, – so I often get asked, um, Dylan, what's the best mental health tool, technique, trick? Uh, and I think it's like similar – it's like asking what's the best exercise trick. Like it's really different things are going to resonate and work better for different people. Uh, and so to me, like the number one mental health uh, habit or routine is really deciding that like, your mental health and well-being is a number one – non-negotiable top priority. Uh, and then from there, it's making that a big part of your life and actually prioritizing on other things and running experiments and tests to see like what works for you. Um, and so for me, psychedelic medicine is like probably one of the you know two to five things that work best for me. Um, and I, uh, you know, have a sort of plant medicine and entheogenic, um, practice where we'll use different uh, plant medicines, whether it's ayahuasca or psilocybin, mescaline, uh, to improve my mental health and well-being and have breakthroughs that improve not just how I feel and sort of level me up, but also how I show up for the people around me. Uh, I think I'd say like one of the biggest motifs that I have when I'm have these psychedelic medicine experiences is being reminded over and over again about the importance of my relationships, uh, my relationship with my partner in crime, Allie, my wife, who's our head of engineering here at Mindbloom, uh, with oh. my, that's yeah, fun, <laughs> with my um, close friends, with my, you know, my father, uh, with my colleagues, uh, and even just how I treat, you know, everyday people I interact with. To, to be clear, um, Dylan, so your, your father is still alive? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, we'll never know if it was because of ketamine therapy or because yeah. of mind bloom, but he certainly was suicidal and I had him like 50, 50 okay. chance of making yeah. it. From the beginning, my interpretation was like he, he passed too, but it sounds like this made a major impact. So um, it's, it's good that we cleared that up. Yeah. So my mother and my sister both died of fentanyl overdoses over the last couple of years. Um, and, you know, potentially psychedelic therapy saved my father's life. And so it's pretty cool that I got to help at least one of my family members with their mental health issues. Um, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad you were able to help in, in that respect. And also, um, as, as we work towards wrapping a couple minutes left, um, the how do you pronounce it? Is it Vipassana meditation? Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. 
So uh, silent retreats, read and study. I mean, I, I've read about these before where it's like six to seven days, no technology, nothing. And you seem to be a pretty calm and collected guy to me. So t- tell us about that. I mean, tell us about how you've developed this calm demeanor because you said you used to be pretty like, you know, a pretty upset person, right? So yeah, I used to get like fist fights. You know, I played football for 12 years. Uh, I would drink like four or five nights a week in college. And I was very like achievement focused. So um I, you know, on the surface would look like I had it together. I was um, valedictorian of my high school. I didn't get a B until college, like near perfect SAT score, captain of some of my football teams, like captain of the science Olympiad team. I would say psychedelic medicine was a big catalyst. It was actually the first catalyst was discovering positive psychology. And I, for me, one of my big practices is actually studying and reading about call mental health and well-being, philosophy, like how to live your life. And so some of my big influences are positive psychology, sort of Buddhism, Eastern philosophy, meditation, uh, stoicism, uh, even like behavioral psychology and cognitive science, understanding our biases and how the mind works. I found it to be very powerful. It's building a lot of psychological tools and techniques that I use day to day, if not moment to moment. Uh, but uh, to your point about meditation, um, I, my story with meditation is I originally got into it like a lot of, you know, probably your listeners get into it was like, hmm, I feel like I could be even better at work if I like <laughs> being a, a tech founder, if I started meditating, you know, I hear it's a superpower. Uh, and so I had a few false starts, uh, finally committed to doing headspace for 45 days straight. I was going to do it 45 days straight. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I'm never going to try meditation again. I tried it, not for me. Uh, it was about... 20 days in, I was going up and giving a talk uh, in front of a bunch of potential customers. They're, they're lawyers in my last company. And I started getting stage fright right before I went on, which I really don't get frequently. Uh, and I was like, oh, there's that meditation thing. I should give that a shot right now. So I closed my eyes and just observed the sensations of uh, you know, my heart pounding, um, of like my skin kind of crawling, of like all the, exo- the constricted feeling in my chest. Uh, and it just sort of floated, went away, and I went up and crushed it. Uh, I was like, oh, this meditation has some legs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but as I started going deeper down the rabbit hole, uh, I started actually studying meditation, like reading books on it, uh, which led me to actually studying Buddhism. And I think one of the things we miss um, sort of in Western society is uh, sort of practicing meditation without studying the underlying viewpoints around it. Um, and so I would like consider my sort of quasi-philosophical or spiritual viewpoints like a combination of secular Buddhism, like Buddhism without the religion, more around the meditation, mm. uh, humanism, trying to give back to this incredible human species, and hedonism, like trying to enjoy life as much as I can because I only get one of them. <laughs> um, uh, and that led me, you know, sort of down uh, sort of practice and study of Theravada Buddhism uh, into Vipassana retreats. Uh, but, but, but your question, the thing that, not your question, your statement around like, is this one of those retreats where you can't use your phone? Um, I think what really surprises people is when they learn that like the idea of being silent during it is, um, probably one of the easiest things you do. Uh, it's you literally from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to bed at night, you're trying to meditate the entire time. Like every, yeah. every, like every single moment you're meditating. So, so I've read about this. Yeah. I mean, like a lot of people go crazy by like day two or three or like they tap out. Right. So yeah, anyway, continue. Well, I think, you know, my, um, my, 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 my lovely, brilliant wife, Allie and I, uh, we've been talking about going for a while and had, I had cold feet. She'd been in some weekend retreats. Uh, but then like just through my study of meditation, I got to a point where like 
I knew that the idea of getting to spend a whole week in practice would be like absolute bliss and I couldn't wait to do it. Um, so I think sometimes um, some of these centers like accept people coming in for the first time and they don't have yet build up the meditation toolkit. It's like kind of like throwing someone like on the field and like saying like football, like on the field and like yeah. full pads and like uh, in the middle of a game, you know, like, like, a, yeah. like a collegiate level when they have no yeah. idea what they're doing. It's like maybe like a little dangerous. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, so I was, at, I was at one retreat where we're talking to one of the instructors and going around the table and it's like one of two times you get all week to ask one of the the uh, masters essentially like questions and someone raises their hand sheepishly and says so what are we supposed to be doing be- like between the times we're meditating <laughs> like between the times we're doing our 45 minute sets uh and the woman's jaw drops and just like uh if we've led you to believe you're not supposed to be meditating the whole time we didn't give you any in- enough instruction and they're like yeah you didn't you didn't tell anyone that <laughs> um yep so but uh yeah Okay. I, I feel like there's a, there's a lot to, to unpack there, but um, working towards wrapping here. So can you give us a sense? I mean, uh, this, it, it sounds like this should just continue to explode, right? Like whatever you're comfortable revealing around how the company is doing or last couple of years, growth rates, whatever, um, would be keen to know. Yeah. I mean, so as I was mentioned, we're the largest provider of ketamine and psychedelic therapy in the U.S., uh, but I still think we're at like day one. I think ketamine's by our estimates, like 0.2 or 0.3% of the psychiatric drug market. Uh, so you see a product that's a 10x better product to people's like number one burning pain point. Like we just talked about, like suicide overdose, top two leading cause of death for Americans under 45, like, you know, 40 million Americans on antidepressants. Um, and you just see as, what to me is clear as day is that uh, psychedelic therapy is about to become the number one treatment for mental health care issues. Uh, mm. So we have a long ways to go, um, but for us, you know, we've grown from you know zero to a few hundred thousand treatment sessions in a few years. We've yep. grown the team to 350 people, uh, located all over North America, South America, and the Philippines. Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, so Dylan, would I just do the math here? 300,000 sessions times 195 equals close to 60 million dollars. Is that like, is that fair? I mean, you can the math. The math adds up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, no, that, that's. I, I think it's just going to get way bigger. And I think um, from this thing, are you guys still raising your Series C? Did you guys? I'm seeing Series B. Are you guys still raising money right now? Yeah. So I because because of there's a couple of dynamics. So one to me, this is my life's work. Um, so if I wasn't building Mindbloom, I would just want to be building Mindbloom. Uh, it's in my Ikigai. Like it really feels like an yeah. infinite game to me where my goal is just to get to continue building it with incredible people and building incredible products and services to help other people. And I don't want to stop. Um, and because the psychedelic market is so sort of new and early and, you know, it's, it's called Mindbloom, not Ketabloom for a reason. Ketamine might be a footnote in the history of Mindbloom is just the first treatment that we provided. For those reasons, we've approached the market as being like really focused on like really rigorous, thoughtful capital allocation. Uh, so we've raised you know over 50 million from top VCs like Kleiner's Perkins and Founders Fund, 8VC and others, uh, but still have like a majority of the capital. And you know, we raised our Series B two years ago uh, with several yep. years of runway in the bank. And we've actually seen a lot of our competitors, like Fast Flowers, who have sort of popped up, um, you know, mimicked, mimicked or, you know, sort of spun off a lot of what we've done, like come out, raise money, go out of business right away. Uh, 
Uh, yep. There was one company in our space that incinerated $100 million of capital in like three years. Um, wow. Yeah, two, like two years before MDMA was available. Um, and so we've been taking like a more measured approach to, you know, growth and building. Um, and uh, yeah. Got it. Well, congrats on your success. I, I definitely want to try this out myself. I definitely want to be a customer. Um, and I, I think there's probably a war- there's a longer conversation is probably, probably warranted. Um, but we can talk about that later. But um, Dylan, what is the best way for people to f- learn more about you and MindBloom? It's part of my mental health care uh, habit stack is that I don't have a lot of social media. Uh, so I can just be found on LinkedIn, uh, where I post frequently on sort of business entrepreneurship and psychedelics. Uh, and MindBloom itself is at mindbloom.com. All right. Thanks so much for doing this, Dylan. Absolutely. Thanks, Eric.